Wow, that's a great song. Dave wanted to introduce that song to you today. A couple of weeks from now, it's going to fit into the context of the message, so you're definitely going to want to be here for that as well. Any of you want to be floating down that river as you watched that there this morning, seeing that go down? If I were to ask you a question, you're going to have to answer it out loud. If I were to ask you this question, what are some of the basic components of your spiritual life? What would some of the answers most likely be? What are some of the basics of your development in your journey with Jesus? What are some things that you do or want to make sure you do? Helping others. Helping others? Give me some others. Pray. Read the word. Loving one another. All right. You've answered a lot of the questions from this morning. 87% of the Christians that were surveyed said that we really believe that prayer is one of the most essential things that we have in our spiritual life. Without it, we're going to stay away from God and not be as connected as we need to be. Yet only 58% said they rarely really do it. 87% said, I know it's necessary for my spiritual development, but only 58% actually do it. Now, I know statistics can say anything you want them to say. But basically, most people believe that prayer is one of the components of my spiritual development, but not everyone does it. How long do you think the average Christian prays? How much? Five minutes, all right? Three to seven minutes a day is how long the average Christian prays. Now, that's not a lot compared to the day that you've been given. Now, there are some of us grew up in a context where you had some people that really prayed long. I grew up as my senior pastor when I first started ministry who prayed two hours a day, and I thought, oh, Lord, I'm never going to survive in ministry. Everybody's going to look at my prayer life and say, well, you're not like him. And then God reminded me that I wasn't. I don't always pray in long segments of time, but I, like Brother Andrew, and his practice the presence of God, pray regularly throughout the day. What he did is I thank God for everything I did. If I'm washing the dishes, thank you, God, I have something to eat. Thank you, God, I have something to do. If I'm washing sheets, he said, he was a monk, thank you, God, that I have the opportunity to do this and I have a place to lay my head tonight. And so he practiced the presence of God all day long. Some people do pray that way in segments all day long. Others do pray a lot longer than others. Some of us pray pretty routine. God is good, God is great, and we thank him for this food. Others seem to have forgotten to have their devotions before they eat, and so they pray a long period of time. By that time, the food is already cold, right? You ever been with anybody that you know hasn't had their devotions, and somehow you put them on the spot, and you've asked them to pray, and now they're praying so long, everybody else has already eaten and gone. And others seem to just pray in short snippets. I love the fact that God says one of the components of my spiritual life is to spend some time with him. And if we really believe that that's critical to our spiritual development, then we want to make sure we do that. And so obviously this morning we're going to talk about prayer. And specifically the prayer that Paul prays out of the book of Philippians, which was where we are in our study. Some people pray so that people think they know how to pray, and others know how to pray. It seems like they just know how to pray. They touch heaven when they pray. Now, you know prayers all reach heaven. God hears our prayers. Not like God saying, well, like yours, I don't like theirs. Or that was too long or good, seriously, are you ever going to get to eat? Whatever that may mean. And it's not that God isn't 
like that, spending time diagnosing our prayers. So prayers reach heaven. But you know as well as I do, there are some times that people seem to pray so methodically that you wonder if they really understand the essence of what they're praying for, and others seem to not only just pray with their heart, they literally pray from their soul. If you've got people in your life like that who really do understand how to pray from the depths of their soul as a friend, as a co-worker, as a prayer warrior, you have been blessed by God. I have a wife who's an incredible prayer. Got a mom who's an unbelievable prayer warrior. I've got people in my life that I know I could text in a moment, and they're going to, remember last Sunday morning, they're going to receive my text and say, oh, this is awesome. I'm smiling. This is from Dan. Right? You remember that last Sunday morning? What do you, how do you respond when people send you a text? Oh, it makes me smile, or oh, I don't want to read this. So you know you have those people in your life that you can text in a moment's notice, and they're going to pray right there in the spot. They're not going to forget about it. They're not going to ignore it. They're going to pray right then. I have found that this stage of my life, when somebody texts me or asks me to pray, even on a Sunday morning, about a situation in their life, I need to pray for it right then. Because no matter how many times I say, I'll pray for you later, I'll remember Thursday, I don't. I go to the fridge, and I don't know whether I'm putting something in or taking something out, right? You've all been there. So you'll see me every once in a while on a Sunday morning. I did it three times a day, not because I knew I was saying this, but because I know when they say, would you pray with me or pray for me, I'd rather pray then so that I won't forget and I won't get distracted by a hundred other things. So if this morning somebody says to pray for them, pray for them right there. No problem. Everyone will wait. Your place won't be taken. Your car will still be there when you go to leave today. Just spend some time in prayer. Some prayers are really quick. Others are incredibly profound. The disciples noticed something about Jesus' prayer. And I don't think it wasn't because they hadn't prayed before or ever prayed. But every once in a while, it said, Mark 135 is the only one that mentions it. i got to believe it happened on a regular basis. John, I love the end of the book of John. Basically, he said, look, if I were really to write everything that happened during this time with Jesus, there wouldn't be enough books in the universe to contain it. So I realized what we see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is pretty simplified. Rose up early in the morning, went out to a quiet place and prayed. Got to believe that they had watched him do that on a regular basis, and so they came to him one day and said, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? I don't honestly think it was because they didn't know how. They watched the intensity. They watched the, that prayer journey with Jesus and said, we, we want to know that. What's intriguing is that Jesus didn't give them a long rendition, prayer 101, prayer 102, prayer 103, and 104, all in the same context. He just simply said, when you pray, just do this. Pray with me. Our Father who art in heaven. Come on, how many of you grew up with that? All right, most of you. All right, say it. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. A lot of us grew up praying that. It wasn't a, a study on prayer. It was just simply a demonstration of that. A connection with the Father Papa. 
I just want you to know I want to touch base with you today. Understand your holiness, but I love the fact that you connect with me and you understand me. And I want to share that. I know we've all grew up praying that at one point or the other, and many of us have said, is he going to say trespass or debts, right? <laughs> I know, you're all figuring that one. And if you did not grow up with King James, you'll notice that King James is the only one of the translations that has, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Did you ever notice that? Jesus simply demonstrated it. I honestly believe John 17 is the Lord's Prayer. We call the Matthew one the Lord's Prayer. I believe John 17 is the Lord's Prayer. Of all the times that Jesus had so much on his mind and heart and soul, it was the night before the cross and the trial and all that went with that. And he finds himself in a solitary place with three of his best friends and he prays. And what's fascinating about that John 17 prayer is that he prays for them. And then for us, of all the things that he could have prayed for, those hours before all of that, he prayed they would be protected, he prayed they would be unified, he prayed that they would have his glory, experience his presence, and encounter his love. Us. That's incredible. The Apostle Paul lets us in on a lot of his prayers. Now, if you read Matthew, especially out of the section of Scripture, the Lord's Prayer is, Jesus said, look, when you pray, pray quietly, don't let anybody notice. Well, it seems like Paul's breaking protocol because he's letting everybody notice he's praying out loud and he actually records those prayers. Jesus was saying you can't say them out loud or shouldn't do them out loud. What he is saying is don't do it for show. Just pray with your heart and from your heart and from your soul. And so Paul does in this kind of context here in Philippians chapter 1. Now, last Sunday morning, I'm going to read the whole context, but last Sunday morning, he said to the Philippian church, look, you need to know how much I love you. There are other churches that cause me some heartache. There are other churches that are going through an incredibly difficult time. But Philippians, you need to know how much I love you. And every time I think of you, I praise God for the relationship we have. I wake up on a Sunday morning going, oh my goodness, i got to go to CAC this morning. I wake up on a Sunday morning saying, I get to go, I get to be with, I get to see, I get to share, I get to love. And that's how Paul feels about this church. And so praying with that kind of love allows him to pray with a, a much deeper soul-felt heart for what they're going through or what they're dealing with or what he wants them to understand. For those of you who have children, don't you pray with a little more intensity for your kids than you do someone you don't know or someone who just came across and said, hey, pray for me? You do, right? You pray with intensity and with depth for your kids a little bit more than the people in your neighborhood. Nothing wrong with any of that, but y'all pray with intensity for someone you love or have a relationship with. And that's how Paul prays. And by the way, those of you who are parents raising kids, you're praying the rest of your life. Right? You already know, money, you already know that. You're praying a little baby comes into the world and you're saying, oh God, help me not to drop him or break him. And so all of a sudden they come and they start to walk and to talk. And then, of course, you're always telling them, sit down and be quiet. You know, they start to walk and talk and get to that stage, and then all of a sudden, you got to send them off on that horrible thing called a school bus, and you know they're going to come back totally transformed and changed because of those kids on that bus, <laughs> right? And so you're praying like crazy. I remember Rachel, she was in first service, I literally had to pull her off of my leg and say, honey, you have to go to school. She's crying on the way in, I'm crying on the way out. And then all of a sudden, you come to junior high, you think, Jesus, I'll never survive this. And so you pray again, and you're praying constantly. You're praying somehow you get through, and somehow you don't kill them. You know, the, just, you're just praying. And then all of a sudden, high school, and you think, 
wow, dating and all that goes with that. Got him to graduation. I'm done praying. We're good. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then it's college and career choice and a choice of a mate. You're hoping you just love that guy or that girl like crazy because all of a sudden you realize no matter what they say, I'm not marrying the family. Oh, yes, you are. I've had these kids tell me, I'm not marrying the family. I want to say, honey, you're marrying the family. And then you're praying through that process. And then all of a sudden, grandkids come into the world and you're not praying anymore, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. So Paul says, I want you to know. I love you deeply. I thank God, verse 3, for every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you, I pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I'm confident of this, that the one who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about you because I have you in my heart. Whether I'm in chains or defending or confirming the gospel, all of you shared God's grace with me. God can testify. He knows how much I love you with the affection of Christ. So in light of that knowledge, in light of that relationship, this is my prayer for you. That your love may abound more and more and more. In the knowledge and depth of insight so that you can be able to discern what is best and can be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Filled with the righteousness that comes through Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Father, this prayer is profound and if we really fully understand the depths of it, it really can change how we view you and others and how we live the life that you call us to live. So help us to grasp it fully as we unpack it during this time together in Jesus' name. I want to pull it apart just for the next couple of Sundays and look at the various aspects of what Paul is praying will happen to these people that he loves. So you need to understand, I love you like crazy. I love CAC. I'm not saying that because I'm supposed to. I'm saying that because I love CAC. So when I say this and Paul prays this and I'm praying the same thing, you need to see it from that context. The word abound, you have sermon notes this morning. The word abound means to exceed in something, to overflow with something. It's like the, looking at the top of a fountain like this. You just want that love that is in you to just flow everywhere. His prayer is that your love to the world around you, out of your love for Jesus, looks like that and not this. Right? You get the difference? He's praying that your love isn't that, just a little trickle every once in a while, hopefully satisfies you and all of a sudden shuts off. But he prays that your love looks like that. That fountain that just overflows everywhere you go. And every time you come in contact with somebody, I'm praying that that love that is deep inside you, in your sermon notes, he's inferring that it's already there. All right? Your love. That's why he calls it your love because he says you have it. And my prayer is that it comes out. That everywhere you go, that it doesn't just remain there, but that in your notes it overflows. Not trickles, but overflows. And I just pray that it overflows like crazy. So much so that when anyone comes in contact with you and I, the love of Jesus that is already deep inside you spills out all over them. So that when they come near you or bump into you, I pray that love just splashes out all over the place. So the question that begs to be asked is this. When people bump into you, what spills out? When people bump into you, what spills out? That, that's a question I've got to ask myself. When things don't go right, when things don't go well, when the world smacks you or somebody bumps into you, I'm not saying with your car or their car, 
But when people bump into you in a way that you didn't expect or in a place or a time that you didn't expect, what spills out? One of the things that you're going to see in this Philippian chapter over the next few weeks is that it speaks as much to me as it does to you. I'm just hoping you hear it and you enjoy it and you learn and grow from it. But man, every time I read this stuff, I'm going, okay, I get it, I get it. Because I want the love of Jesus to spill out, not because I'm supposed to, but because it's already there. It's not like you're running around trying to find people to love on. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's not about running around trying to find people to love. It means that when anyone comes into your path or bumps into you, I really pray that love spills out. You see the difference in that? One is intentional, it's what I'm supposed to do. The other one is natural. One is, oh, I'm a Christian and I go to church on Sunday morning and so when someone bumps into me and they already know I'm a believer, I better make sure that love spills out. That's intentional. That's what I'm supposed to do. The other is natural. It just comes out, just comes out. It's so deep inside that when people bump into me, that's what comes out. And it's not splashing on them because they're worthy of love. It's splashing on them because it's in you. So when people get close to you, you need to answer the question, what gets on them? Because Jesus was pretty honest when he said, I'm just telling you, I know you. I know human nature. I know humanity. I also know you personally. What's in your heart is going to come out. I know it. It's like the law of gravity. I stand up on this stage and jump off. I'm not floating. I'm going down. Probably break something at this age of my life, but I'm going down. This is law of nature, law of gravity. He said, Look, I'm just telling you what I know to be true for all of humanity forever. What is in your heart is going to come out. Anger, pain, hurt, it will come out. Paul says, my prayer is that love comes out. Let's go on. That your love, that love that's in there, and he, he doesn't even define it. It's fascinating. We'll pick up here next Sunday morning. Fascinating for the Corinthians, he said, look, evidently you guys don't know what love is. So let me define it. Spends a whole chapter defining it. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is tender. It's not rude. Doesn't demand its own way. Not irritable or touchy. Doesn't keep score. Right? He doesn't do that with the Philippian church. He assumes clearly they understand that the corinthians who were fighting all the time didn't so he defines it here he understands they understand it he's praying that that love i'm saying i'm praying that that love abounds more and more even though you know clearly what it costs and what it's going to entail paul is saying that his prayer is that they will abound in them not a naive love or a sentimental kind of love but a love that is rooted in a real knowledge of what genuine love is, that they would understand then genuine love and it would exude, even though they knew all that love entailed and that kind of love would be. He's not talking about puppy love or falling in love with a little puppy. How many of you remember when your kids came to you and said, Mom, Dad, I want a puppy? And you said no, right? But then they took you to the pound or took you to the store and they showed you this. See, you all got pulled in right there. As soon as you see that face, you know, Mom, I'll take care of it for the rest of my life. I'll get up at 4 o'clock in the morning. I'll feed it every day. I promise I will not let it do anything. You know, though, in depth and knowledge of insight of what you know, that that little puppy is going to make a mess all over your house and chew up your shoes. 
And you know at some point in life, you're going to be taking care of that puppy. And that little puppy that is so cute is going to become a what? A dog that you are now taken care of, right? Paul's saying, look, it's the best illustration I could come up with. Paul is saying, look, I'm not praying you get rich. I'll be honest with you. I'm not even praying that you stay healthy. What I am praying for is that you fully understand what genuine love is. And when you understand it fully and understand what it's going to cost you to be in relationship with people, that you're willing to do that and let love spill out. Even though you know it's not going to be easy. Even though I have a real understanding of all the flaws of the people that I'm in relationship, I pray that even then that love will abound more and more. That's when love in your notes gets real. When you know all the flaws that someone has and you love them anyhow. That's the amazing thing about great relationships. My wife and I have known each other over 45 years, and every literal, every single day, I'm blown away by the fact that with all the knowledge and insight she has about me, she still loves me. I wouldn't, knowing me, not her. I love her like crazy. I am a psychologist's dream case. I really am. I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by the fact. I told her this last night. Girl, I cannot believe with all the stuff you know about me, you still love me this much. That's what Paul is saying. I pray that your love grows more and more and that it abounds and it overflows even though you know all the flaws of the people that you're in relationship with. Now, of all the things that Paul could have prayed for in your notes, fascinating that that's what he prayed for. A couple of reasons. One is in 1 Corinthians 13 because above all things, the greatest is love. So naturally, that's what he's going to pray for. Second reason, by this you will know which ones are my disciples. In a world that claims they're following God or they're followers of Jesus or they're following a Messiah, in a world that claims that, let me tell you how you can tell which ones are mine. They go to CAC. <laughs> That's how you can tell. You can tell because they, when that plate goes by, they put stuff in it. You can tell which ones are mine. They sing in a team. They sing in a class. They worship. They whatever. Not on any of those. This is how you'll know which ones are mine. By what? How they love. Not what they claim, not what they say, not what they do, but how they love. By this you'll know which ones are my disciples, by the love they have for each other. It's the highest, it's the finest, it is the best. I never assume that every single one of you know so many different aspects of the scriptures. But there's an incredible peace that unfolds right after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Three of his best friends were with him all the way through that process. His disciples saw it. They experienced it. Some of them ran away. Some of them did their own thing. Some went back to what they used to. But Peter, James, and John, they were there all the way through it. And his best friend, one of his best friends, Peter, said, Jesus, I'll be with you no matter what. They'll all run. I'm telling you right now, I know them. They'll run. I'm with you to the end. Fell asleep the night he needed him the most and denied he ever knew him. The very guy that claimed, I'm with you, Jesus, no matter what, fell asleep in the prayer meeting that Jesus needed him the most to be in in that Garden of Gethsemane and denied he ever knew him. Jesus goes to the cross. He dies on the cross for your sins and mine. He rises from the dead, shows himself on a number of occasions to the disciples. In John 20, describes one of those that no one else does. 
It's about a week or so after Jesus rose from the dead and they're out fishing, we're done, we're going back to what we used to do and they see Jesus on the shore having a meal and so they jump out, Peter just jumps out of the boat and flies over there and of all the questions that Jesus could have asked him, if I'd have been Jesus, I'd have said, what were you thinking? You big phony, you said you'd follow me no matter what? You fall asleep and you deny you ever knew me? You didn't know me? Why, Why would you do that? Do you have any idea how much that, do you have any idea how much that hurt? None of that. I'm fascinated by that. Of all the things that he could have said was not, how could you, are you sorry, will you ever do it again? He just simply said, do you love me? The most important question that he could have ever asked of all the questions, do you love me? That's what I need to know. I do. I really do. Then go. I believe one of the most important things that shows up on the radar of heaven is not how much you have, how good you are, how good you look, how well you sing, how good you teach, but how you and I love. How you and I love. Ephesians said you've got to speak the truth in love because otherwise it will hurt. This is how you'll know which ones are mine if you love one another. I love John Maxwell's favorite line, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. People really don't care how much you know until they know how much you you care. Showing love might be an interaction with, interaction with a friend, a visitor, a family member. It may be best when it comes from somebody who just bumps into you when you least expect it. So often Christianity has been defined to a set of standards, things I do or things I don't. And Paul said, look, if you do those things void of love, they're useless. I don't care if you speak with the tongue of men and of angels and you don't have love. You're a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. You could have the gift of knowledge and can fathom all mysteries. That's incredible. You can have a faith that moves mountains. I love to have that kind of faith. But if you don't have love, it's nothing. You can give everything you possess to the poor. You can surrender your body to the flames. But if you don't have love, you're nothing. Not related to deeds, but who we are on the inside. Paul prays more than anything else that you understand the depth of that kind of love. You understand all the flaws of the people you're going to get in contact with, and you still love. You know as well as I do that sometimes the longer you live, the easier to love, and sometimes the longer you live, the harder to love. I'm glad you're all sitting down, because I'm going to give you some news that's going to surprise the daylights out of you, okay? So you're all sitting down. Somebody's going to hurt you. Sometime in life. You're surprised, right? Somebody in your life is going to let you down. I know you're surprised by that. I want you to be prepared for it. That's why I'm glad you're sitting down. Somebody's going to laugh at you. Somebody's going to make fun of you. Somebody's going to hurt your feelings. Right? And, and, and you all know I'm being facetious, right? Because most of us probably experienced that at one point or the other. And probably for a few of us in the room, we experienced them all. I've been hurt, I've been let down, I've been offended, I've been misused, I've been misunderstood, I've been ignored. Some of you have had it all. Paul says, I pray, even though you know all of that, and you know what it's like to be in relationships, I pray that even with all of that knowledge, you will love. And so I know there's no way you'll ever be able to do that on your own. So I'm going to pray for God's supernatural power as a follower of Jesus to be able to do that. And so he prays that we'll understand that that prayer needs to be our prayer. There's a book called Severe Mercy. I honestly didn't read it all. I found the illustration. But Sheldon Van Aken is trying to figure out what Christianity is all about. He actually 
I believe, ends up coming to faith in Christ based on the influence of his wife. But he shares with C.S. Lewis some thoughts about his journey. He says, well, I'm sure you've heard before, the strongest argument I've ever found for Christianity is Christians. Their love, their joy, their certainty of things that come. Sadly, the strongest argument I've found against Christianity is also Christians. When they're somber and joyless, when they act self-righteous and smug, when they're narrow-minded or when they lack love. And in my mind and in my search, Christianity dies a thousand deaths when I see that one and not the other. And obviously I keep saying, Lord, I pray that when people think of us, CAC, when they think of me personally, when they think of you, that even with all the flaws and all the problems, they just think, that's what I want to look like. That's the kind of church I want to be. That's the kind of person I want to be. So that when they look at me and know all the junk and they still know that I'll love them and I'll exude that kind of love. Jesus said, I'm giving you a brand new command. You don't do it because you're supposed to. You don't do it because you have to. Brand new command, love. Love one another just like I have loved you. And so this couldn't be a better day to share communion because the absolute greatest demonstration of the kind of love that Paul is talking about is here and what we hold in our hands every time we share communion. Paul said, even when you were spitting in God's face, when you said, there's no way I'm following Jesus, no way I'm going to commit my life to God. Even when you were running away from God, Jesus still loved you enough to die for you. God loved you so much, he gave you everything in giving us his son. And Jesus loves us so much with an unbelievable kind of love that he demonstrated it as visibly as he knew how on the cross. And so every time we hold those emblems in our hands and we see that little piece of bread and that cup of juice, we're reminded of this love that Paul's referring to. And so that our prayer becomes, God, boy, am I not perfect. Oh, man, I've got so far to go. But help me to even with all that I know, to be the kind of person that when people bump into me and the world rubs me the wrong way, you spill out. Because I don't want to be a reservoir of all the stuff you do for me because I'm going to hold my hands what that looks like. I want to be a conduit that just lets Jesus spill out everywhere I go. Communion stores are going to come. And you'll notice that everything's in the same tray if you've never been here before. The bread and the cup, take them both, help the person around you. Each one of them represent the body of Jesus, and he gave his all so that you and I could have life, and his blood that was shed so that we could have forgiveness of sins, so that we no longer have to be offered or even offer a sacrifice. He offered it on our behalf. And if I know Christ as Savior, I come, I enjoy, I freely participate, and then I want to be the conduit of that love that has been given to me, to those around me. Gentlemen, please come. If you wait till everyone is served, and then I'm going to come back up. So just spend some time with Jesus and thanking him for love and asking him to help you be the kind of person that demonstrates it the way we talked about this morning. And then I'll come back up.
rehearses a story in 1 Corinthians when he said, the Lord Jesus, when night, the very night he was betrayed, took bread. He blessed it, he passed it out and said, this is where you get life. For me and me alone, I give you everything I have. And then he took the cup and shared it among the disciples. He said, this is where you get forgiveness of sin. I've given you everything. Every time you do this, which is this, remember me. Share it together. Father, as always, we're incredibly grateful for what you've done for us. There's no way to ever express that in words that seem adequate to what it is you've done for us, but we are unbelievably grateful. And so, Father, I pray that when we see your kind of love demonstrated, that we don't feel like we have to give our bodies or give our life for others, but that the love of Jesus that comes into us flows out of us to the world around us. And so allow that to happen. Consciously, awareness of all of that and then become so natural that we don't even think about it. Thank you for the demonstrations we see that. We know that we can't do it without you. We can't do it without your power. So empower us to do that. Thank you again for your amazing grace and for allowing us to be together this morning. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Have an incredible day. Anything I can do for you or pray for you, let me know.